This is Car Expert. Is it a sensible starting point for AMG as it goes into the world of electrification? And I think not. Where does this subscription scheme end? What car companies like BMW could potentially start charging for? This is actually a really handsome looking truck. I think this one has a little bit of class about it, which might appeal to a different demographic. And that's probably what Volkswagen's trying to do here. Hello, James Wong. Hello, Mandy. Hello, William Stopford. Hello, Mandy. I suppose we're going to start off with some sad news. I'm a lover of all things small cars, and I reckon you guys might be too, because they're so unloved now. I'm I'm really (laughs) sad about this. Um, So the Suzuki Bellino is going to be no more. Bellino more. Um, So... (laughs) Earlier this year, Suzuki, uh, so Suzuki, for those who don't know, is huge in India. Massive, massive, massive market share. So over there, they revealed an updated version of the Bellino, which has been around for a few years now when it came out in 2014, 15, uh, quite a while. So here comes an updated model and we think, oh, that'd be nice. Nice to see an updated Bellino in Suzuki showrooms locally. Um, But Mike Costello put together a very good story. Turns out the updated model won't actually meet ADR 85-00 design rules. No way. Which rules are those? We shan't be coming here. Uh, I believe side impact um, from memory. Uh, basically, uh, based on the current run rate, stock of the outgoing Bellino will be available in dealers for just a few more months. So if you want one, I would suggest that you go out and get one now. Uh, now, I bring this up not because it's sad to see the Bellino go. I mean, not a bad little car, honestly, but uh, not something that you know has people getting all worked up in a tizzy over but um it's sad because we're seeing so many vehicles just leave that segment um we have also seen the few that have survived go up considerably in price uh because uh, look at the toyota yaris the mazda 2 they both saw significant price increases because the, the manufacturers wanted to add safety equipment which i mean yeah good love to see more safety equipment uh, but that's also pushed up the price to um, uh, the, the cost to actually manufacture them and, and sell them. Uh, and this is already a segment that's not particularly profitable for a lot of automakers. Uh, so it, the Bellino is one of the best-selling vehicles in that segment. Uh, it's now going. So I imagine what we're probably going to see here is not Yaris sales go up or Mazda 2 sales go up, but probably MG3 sales go up. Because <laughs> As that- if they need any more sales. They're what top selling at the moment, aren't they? Bingo, exactly, and and for quite a little while now. Uh, but there is still a, a lot of people out there that just want a cheap new car. They don't necessarily care about the latest and greatest in safety features. MG3 certainly meets that criteria because it doesn't even have AEB. Um, and now we've seen with the Bellino going, uh, there's Suzuki will still have the Swift. So Suzuki's got a little bit of a, a dual model strategy in a couple of segments, like they sell the S-Cross and the Vitara simultaneously. They sell the Bellino and the Swift simultaneously. The Swift was developed, you know, with the European and Japanese markets, you know, front of mind. Uh, so more active safety equipment is available in that. The Bellino was developed, obviously, with, with India front of mind. Um, so, yeah, look, it, it is a bit sad because there are certainly people that do want an affordable new car. And whenever people ask me, hey, uh, I'd love to get a new car for around 20 grand, what can I get? And I'm like, oh, jeez. <laughs> A used car. And even then, not a great time to buy a used car. Oh, my God. Well, apart from the MG3, what other cars are around that price now? Or small cars? You step down to a Kia Picanto. Um, oh, yeah. 
Kia still sells the Rio, so kudos to Kia for um, still offering these these relatively affordable entry level cars. But you know, everyone else has just left that segment. So Honda hasn't brought the latest Jazz here. Um, you can get a Ford Fiesta and Hyundai i twenty, but only in in sporty models, which are well above twenty grand. Mm. Um, and there's not James. What else is there around that part of the market? Not much. Not much else. Slim Pickens. Wow. Sad times indeed. And here is this week's biggest car news. It has been a big one too. Jaywo, the Ionic 6 has been revealed and it's coming here. Yes, so we've sort of seen what it looks like, but now we've got a full reveal with details. And the Ionic 6 looks like it's probably the Hyundai's best bet yet at challenging the Tesla Model 3. So for those unfamiliar, the Ionic 6 is like a sedan version of the Ionic 5. It's very aerodynamics focused. It sort of looks like this futuristic slash retro four-door coupe thingy with lots of cool digital light signatures. Um, It's sort of sporty. It's sort of luxury looking. It's deceptively large. So just to give you uh, an idea, it it measures 4.855 meters long. So it's 4,855 millimeters long, 1,880 millimeters wide, and just under 1.5 meters tall. So it may look a little short and stumpy in some, but some angles on the, in photos and whatever, but this is quite a large car. Uh, and so it's about 50 millimeters shorter in wheelbase than the Ionic 5, but it's 220 millimeters longer. And so you think of it as sort of like an electric Sonata in, in terms of size. <laughs> yeah, okay. So it rides on the same EGMP platform as the Ionic 5 and other cars like the Kia EV6 and Genesis GV70. And with the same 77.4 kilowatt hour battery, um, it will offer up to 610 kilometers of range on the WLTP combined cycle, largely because it is so aerodynamically efficient that it, oh, I forgot the coefficient figure. Is it points to, sorry, 4.21, okay. Largely because it has a drag coefficient of 0.21, which is almost as good as the Mercedes-Benz EQS. So (laughs) think about the amount of engineering that probably has gone into it, and this thing is a slippery little bugger. It also has the same uh, 350 kilowatt DC fast charging ability that its siblings do, so it can do 10 to 80% in about 18 minutes, um, and also offers things like vehicle to load and stuff like that, so you can get an adapter to plug in an appliance from the outside, or there should be a port on the inside depending on specific so you can like plug in a laptop charger, hairdryer, whatever you might want. <laughs> That's your go-to. <laughs> whatever. I remember when people talked about plugs in utes, everyone always said a hairdryer. So I don't know if Katie's like to do their hair on site, but anyway. I mean, you um, look at J-Wo's hair and I can understand why he said that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's my best friend in the morning. Um, <laughs> uh, obviously, we've seen uh, the, the pictures of the outside and inside, but I'll just quickly refresh on what we know. So inside, you've got dual 12-inch displays for the driver and the infotainment system, like what we've seen in some other Hyundai Kia products. Um, it's a little bit more conventional than what we saw in the Ionic 5. So the Ionic 5 has a very open plan interior. With it, this one has more of a ch- traditional sedan interior with like a almost a transmission tunnel-esque center console and, you know, more what you'd expect from a normal car. Uh, so it, I think it looks better inside than an Ionic 5. It's very, you know, sp- sporty or sedan-esque, and I think that appeals a little bit more to me. Very boxy looking inside for such a curvaceous vehicle on the outside. 
we have to maximize space, Will, so that's why it's there. <laughs> um, and then depending on, on trim, the Ionic 6 will be um, offered with a full suite of active safety systems. So you've got things like AEB with junction assist. You've got lane change and evasive steering assist, blind spot assist, rear cross traffic assist, adaptive cruise control with highway driving assist too, which is adaptive cruise combined with lane centering and it'll just basically drive for you, but you have to get your hands on the wheel, high beam assist, safe exit warning, remote smart parking assist and a surround view camera with 3D view. So, you know, we've you would have seen most of the stuff that's available on it already in other um, Hyundai Kia products, the Ionic 5, Kia EV6 and Genesis GV70 all basically have the same mechanical and technology package, but obviously this looks and feels a little bit different and because it's a sedan and has a really good drag coefficient, the range is really good. Um, it'll also offer um, two versions in terms of powertrain. So there'll be a single motor version with rear wheel drive and an all wheel drive version with two motors. Um, the latter has 239 kilowatts and 605 newton meters, which should allow it to get to 100 in about five, just over five seconds. So it's not slow. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Will? Oh, I keep hearing James say all week, oh, it looks great. It looks amazing. Um, <laughs> look, I love the Ionic 5. Um, I really think I, this is one of those vehicles like the Mercedes EQS, which we'll talk about later in the podcast, uh, that I need to see in person to see if I like. Uh, I, I often do like Hyundai's design language. I know Kia sometimes, Kia designs sometimes are a little bit sportier, sometimes a little bit more conventional or handsome looking. I'd love to see, though, Kia's take on a dedicated electric sedan because I suspect I might like it more um, than the Ionic 6. But you know, let, let's wait and see, uh, see it in the middle. Okay. Yeah, you can actually head to our social media channels, Car Expert on Instagram and Facebook. Um, we've got Anthony Crawford over there um, because the Ionic 6 was revealed as part of the Busan Motor Show in South Korea. And you can actually get a better feel for the proportions as he walks around the car. He's got a really cool walk around video coming up. So uh, there's plenty to see and um, we're really excited to see how this translates in person. Fantastic. Well, another important model that was revealed this week also jwo the 2023 volkswagen amarok yes so this is a little bit more than just a ranger with a volkswagen badge on it it's a completely new design in terms of sheet metal and there's adjustments to the interior as well to differentiate it but it's still largely the same stuff so the new amarok basically gets the rangers technical package they've got the same platform they share all their engines so you've got a 2-litre turbo diesel, 2.3-litre turbocharged petrol, which is actually similar to the one used in the Ford Focus ST, which is cool, um, as well as a 3-litre turbo diesel V6. Uh, and then obviously you've got all the new tech that the current Amarok, which dates back to about 2011, is sorely lacking. So you've got a brand-new infotainment system with a, an up, upright orientation with you know navigation, digital instrument cluster, a suite of active safety assists, and so now you can get an Amarok with AEB, lane keep assist, all that kind of thing. And obviously, it's it'll be more down to personal preference, but I think that this is actually a really handsome-looking truck. And while the Ranger is obviously really cool and quite tough-looking, I think this one has a little bit of class about it, which might appeal to a different demographic, and that's probably what Volkswagen's trying to do here. Um, typically, they do premium for the people, and that was, that was their slogan for so long, that, you know, this one sort of does less of the, you know, orange stitching and contrast body elements and things like that and sort of go makes it more like an SUV. So I'd be interested to hear your your thoughts from the both of you, what you think and whether you would prefer an Amarok over a new Ranger. Oh, well, 
I am a Volkswagen girl. <laughs> so that comes at no surprise. Yeah, yeah. But I actually prefer the design over the uh, the Amarok. It's less Americanized, mm-hmm. I think, and a cleaner design. What do you think, Will? Oh, uh, look, I, I honestly don't know which one I prefer because, yeah, you're right. The Ranger's got that shrunken F-150 look to it. Mm. It looks really chunky and tough. This looks almost like an, an evolution of the outgoing Amarok. It, it doesn't really rock the boat too much in terms of design. I think it looks handsome. I've, I, I'm on a few Ranger owner groups on Facebook and uh, a lot of people are like, oh, no, no, it's ugly. I don't like it. Um, but <laughs> I think if you're somebody who's going to gravitate towards the Ranger, you might not like the Amarok. But if you're gravitating towards the Amarok, you might not like the Ranger. So it's great that there's that that variety there and it's great to see the level of differentiation here between the two models because we know that a lot of manufacturers are are collaborating. Uh, I mean, the latest Mazda BT50 is based on the Isuzu D-Max and fundamentally, front clips aside, they're very, very similar looking um, inside and out. Uh, this, This... you know, you really have to squint to see the range a bit. So that's that's very interesting. I think what really interested me the most um, uh, from this reveal is Volkswagen Australia confirming that we are going to get the 2.3 litre turbo petrol here. So the outgoing Ranger has been available with a 2.3 litre turbo petrol um, in markets like the US and Canada. Um, but Ford hasn't expressed any interest in bringing a, uh, a, t- a petrol model here, except for obviously the Raptor, which is a different kettlefish. Now, Volkswagen Australia uh, or Volkswagen in general doesn't have access to the t- the petrol turbo V6 of the Raptor, but they, uh, Volkswagen Australia seems to have said, "Hey, well, why not we why don't we just get the the turbo petrol four cylinder?" And why that interests me is I, I swear there was a, there was a time not too long ago when every second Hilux you saw on the street had a four liter V6 in it. And they've just reached this point where all of those petrol offerings just seem to completely disappear from the ute market. Navara uh, petrol gone, um, Hilux petrol gone, and so on and so forth. To the point where it's so heavily diesel dominated, unless you look at a very, very base Triton um, or Hilux or step up to something like a Ram. Um, so I don't know um, how well the petrol Amarok will sell here. I know that the outgoing Amarok, there's been a, there's always been a very heavy skew towards the V6 turbo diesel. Um, I suspect even though this is this new V6 turbo diesel is not a Volkswagen engine, it is a Ford engine. I suspect it will probably still uh, account for the lion's share of Amarok sales in Australia. Um, but it's great to see Volkswagen offering a, a petrol option there. We'll see how much uh, how good the take is. And just to give some context as well, that. Turbo petrol four, despite losing a bit of displacement to the turbo diesel V6, is putting out some pretty impressive numbers. So it's got 222 kilowatts and 450 newton meters, which not long ago were the kind of outputs you get out of a diesel six. Um, the V6, which is Ford source this time, not a Volkswagen unit, um, is putting out 177 kilowatts or 184 kilowatts, depending on the market, and has 600 newton meters. So it'll probably be a more relaxed and talky experience in the diesel, but I don't think that the um, turbo petrol will be any a poor relation either. Okay, now, Will, I've got my head scr- I'm scratching my head here. <laughs> Tesla has removed the home charging cable from its cars in Australia. Why? Well, because uh, they did it in the US. <laughs> I think we uh, we saw this coming. Um, so basically, uh, the mobile connector uh, or home charge cable is uh, now available exclusively as a standalone option. Now, Tesla has reduced the price of it from $860 to $550. 
but $550 is a big step up from free (laughs) or zero. Um, So Elon Musk tweeted a little while ago when they they removed it from the US market that usage statistics were super low, so seemed wasteful. Uh, Note, mobile connector is not needed if you have a Tesla wall connector or to use superchargers. Recommend installing Tesla wall connector well before car arrives. Well, that's all well and good, uh, but what happens if you are traveling? Uh, What happens if you don't have access to your wall box at home or a charging cable uh, or perhaps you're staying at a hotel that doesn't have any kind of charging facilities, which in Australia right now is most of them um so it's just a little uh, cost-cutting move perhaps uh that is certainly going to rub people the wrong way because we all remember when and it wasn't just apple that did this but uh apple what google samsung a a bunch of the phone manufacturers just stopped providing new phones with with a with a charger because their reasoning well in the case of apple was well you probably already have a whole bunch in your house so we don't need to provide you with one and yes i love anything that is uh cutting down a waste because you have to consider as humans how much crap we waste um but it is still a little bit disappointing that something as fundamental as a charge cable for an electric vehicle is is not present there because i i don't think in the case of you know you might have a whole bunch of old iPhone co- uh, chargers lying around your house, but you probably don't have a whole lot of EV chargers. Because using the phone example, they may have taken away the brick or the wall part, but you still get a cable. So you True. have to bring in something, right? Um, yeah. I think that the, the, one of the issues I have with Tesla, uh, especially the, well, the automotive division anyway as a company, is that there's nothing wrong with making running changes on the fly, but I feel like on any given day, you can be disadvantaged for potentially not buying something the day before or vice versa. And I think that the, the constant changes to spec, to features, to accessories, all that kind of thing, one day you're able to order a car, the next day you're not, one minute the, the waiting time is two months, the next minute it's 12 yeah, sure, it's great that you have a level of transparency, but I think that what we've seen from Tesla is, I'm going to be very careful of how I word it, obviously, but I think the way that Elon Musk runs that company and also is very public in his views or his announcements about the company, things like that, they're so desperate to make the targets and the lofty targets that they're setting as a, as a corporation for volume, output, that kind of thing, that they're basically like clawing away at the floor to try and get there. And, you know, for example, this this change might save them a couple of bucks here and there to make a, a financial target. You know, we're never going to know the full reason. But, you know, it would piss me off as, as somebody that is potentially in line for one or thinking of buying one that suddenly if I haven't, if I'm a week too late to get a cable and I don't want to pay $500 for a cable, it should come with the car. Everyone else gives you a, a cable with the car. Some companies for similar money actually give you a wall box at home with the car. Mm-hmm. So, and especially because Tesla is the EV company, it pioneered the the high uptake of electric vehicles. It has an array of solutions for your home where, you know, you can turn your, your roof tiles into solar panels and you have you can have a, a battery system that keeps your your home powered in in times of crisis like how on earth does it make sense for them to be like we'll give you we'll give you the options of all these things but you're not getting a cable with your car unless you pay for it that just seems so silly for me you know so, what this is sticking with exactly the same theme for our very last story paying for something that you probably shouldn't be paying for uh, BMW will be offering heated seat subscriptions in Australia. Uh, Do I read this right, Will? You do. Uh, So 
basically they, they've introduced this in markets like Korea. Um, I was reading about that the other day and I, I checked the BMW Connected Drive Australia store and noticed a few new options on there. Um, heated seats, heated steering wheel, um, BMW Drive recorder available as monthly, annuals uh, or uh, triannual subscriptions from memory. Now, they appeared on the site in July. Uh, BMW has confirmed that the features recently added to the connected drive store will not be available via subscription on its current range. However, it has a whole bunch of new model launches coming up, like a a massive slew of of models coming through soon. So I wouldn't be surprised if if this... this, Scheme uh, appears. Scheme never sounds like a very good word. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, look, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, and the response in our comments section has been. I, last I checked, there were over 120 comments. I didn't see a positive one. Um, now, let me just preface what I'm about to say with I can I can kind of see the appeal of it to some very small degree. Heated steering wheel. Maybe you uh, don't want to pay $500 or $1,000 or something for a heated steering wheel because you figure it's not going to get used for most of the year. So you want to just pay for it for the two or three coldest months in the year. I mean, I guess that, that that's maybe a use case for this kind of subscription model. But fundamentally, the way the way a lot of people are, are, are saying that they see this uh, as being a way for somebody who's only going to have the car for a short period of time to save money by not paying outright for a particular feature um, and only having it for, say, three years because that's how long maybe their lease is going to be. And then that means the person that buys the car, even though the hardware is there for that particular feature, they're buying a car and it's the feature is not actually there. So at that point, what are they going to do? They, they might have to buy the, the feature themselves. So a, a lot of companies, it's not just BMW, are looking to get money through um, through subscription services um, and to uh, generate that kind of revenue through the software part of their business. So I can understand exactly why BMW has done this. And I, I think I we pay for so many subscriptions nowadays. Um, Netflix and and uh, Spotify and Apple Music and all of that monthly. So I can see why BMW might go, oh, well, people are already paying for all of these various subscriptions. Why not just throw in a few more? Uh, but I think they're going to be a little bit surprised, at least, you know, in Australia, um, to, to see that the response that they get from people. I don't know. Maybe there are people out there who haven't commented on the article that think this is a good idea. But just to give you an idea, uh, Let's just take heated seats, all right? And that's probably the most interesting one. If you want to pay for one month of heated seats, according to the BMW Connected Drive uh, store, you're looking at $29, okay? Uh, You want to pay for a year of that, $289. Three years, $419. Or if you just want to buy them outright, $589. Like, Oh, oh, you can buy it outright. I just buy it outright. Like, yeah, heated steering wheel, maybe. BMW Drive Recorder, I mean hell if I knew what that was I had to look at what that <laughs> actually does and I'm not sure I would want to pay $429 for it after having learned that um, but maybe if I would just want to trial it cool but it kind of does I think a lot of people are concerned that okay 
they're starting, it's starting with BMW offering a one month subscription for heated seats. Where does this subscription scheme end? Uh, and I think that's where people always see the, the slippery slope. And I think that's what, um, what's worrying people. What, what car companies like BMW could potentially start charging for? <laughs> this is the worst thing BMW has done oh. since that <laughs> one series thing in 2003. <laughs> Whatever the design, that horrible looking seven series, I never forget when I first saw one on the road, like an eight year old, and I was like, "What the hell is that? This is just as bad as that." Whatever you want to call, well, who designed it? The Chris Bangle seven series. That I one, I liked yep, it. Of course you did. <laughs> um, so this is just, in my mind, ridiculous. And I think after so many years of pressuring the luxury brands into properly contenting their cars, considering how much we pay for them, particularly in Australia, this is such a backwards step. And on top of that to allow for these vehicles to have subscription-based features like this, obviously the hardware has to be built into the vehicle too, right? So you can't just download a heated seat. You have to have a button and, you know, relevant wiring, things like that to, to have it work once you activate it. So in a world where we have massive semiconductor shortages and things like that, and BMW actually is currently decontenting some of their cars from active safety systems to allow for this chip shortage how the hell are they going to make it work if they're putting absolutely every feature wired into their vehicles, but then you have to pay to have the subscription to activate them or buy it outright. It just does not make sense to me. So I don't know how this is going to work for it in Australia where BMW, particularly in the last you know five or 10 years, has been really good at making most of these convenience features standard, particularly on the mid to high range models. So if people are suddenly looking at like, oh, you know, I don't know what they're going to bring it out on, but say they start introducing it to lower end vehicles in their range. So you think like one series X1, two series and things like that, vehicles that start in the 50 to $60,000 ballpark. If you start adding all these options and then suddenly you add, you know, 20% to the price of your vehicle, what's the point? Yeah. So I don't know. And then, yeah, you, the, unless you buy it outright, there's no guarantee. So you buy it for a year. You're like, okay, maybe I'll buy it for another, another year and then another year and then another year. And then it's on, on the next owner who might be banking on the fact that these features are standard to then have to keep paying again. So while this is a really smart revenue stream idea for BMW, I think from a customer care and you know ongoing usability thing, I would be so frustrated. Imagine if you forgot to pay your subscription and you've got a whole winter without Oh. oh no, heavens, what would I do I'm without sure. my huge steering wheel? That's a very silly example, but you know, I imagine you'd be able to buy yeah. it to an entertainment system. But you know, that kind of thing. It's like just if it's in the car, use it and make it bloody work. Don't make me pay another thing on top of that. Cars are bloody expensive. As as someone who has looked at used European cars, it is annoying enough trying to find a model with exactly the right options that uh, that you wanted. So now this is just another thing to look for when you're looking at a used BMW. Oh no, does this have the, the heated seats wired in? Oh no, does this have the subscription activated or was it paid yeah. for outright? It's just, oh, a nightmare. Messy, super, super messy. Uh, Weekend, your thoughts. Podcast at carexpert.com.au and you can read more news at the site too. Mike Costello has returned from the launch of the Mercedes-Benz EQS sedan, the brand's flagship electric sedan. Hello, Moko. G'day, Mandy. How are you? Very good. So uh, where was this launch? This launch was in Canberra, so maybe Mercedes-Benz execs were doubling up and doing some lobbying for EV incentives while they were up there doing this launch. At least that's my suspicion. (laughs) So um, what were your first impressions of the EQS? 
Yeah, look, so this is a really interesting car. In, in, in a sense, the EQS is basically the ground-up electric equivalent of the uh, iconic S-Class limousine, essentially the S-Class for the 21st century, and it's designed very much around aerodynamics. It's incredibly aerodynamic. It looks a bit like the side profile of one of those wireless Apple Mac mouses that you can get. Uh, it has a coefficient of drag as low as 0.2. Although in this instance, we were driving the Mercedes-AMG EQS 53 version, which is the Afaltabuck tuning arms kind of spin-off of the EQS. Um, similarly to the Mercedes-Benz EQS, it's a 5.2 meter long fastback. So that is absolutely enormous. That's similar size to the S-Class fully electric from the ground up with an absolutely insane amount of power and torque. It's technology that will just leave you kind of gasping, especially when it comes to the uh, the screens inside that are measured in meters rather than inches or centimeters. Um, but what really is interesting about this car is probably that design. Uh, I guess Mercedes had a, had a challenge of, of how to keep its design contemporary and, and modern while always also being forward facing, but also being super aerodynamic. And um, look, it's a polarizing looking thing, I have to say. It probably doesn't have the presence of an S-Class with its enormous dominant front grille and, you know, very cab rearward sort of proportions. It's got a very sort of, I guess, unusual left of center silhouette. It does, however, look better in the flesh than it does in the pictures, which is reassuring. And Wongi, when you recently drove the smaller but conceptually similar EQE, I think you came away with similar thoughts around the design. Yeah, I, I agree. But I think also the EQS has a longer butt, so it looks a bit more in proportion with the EQS. <laughs> yeah abruptly stops at the end so i think the design of the aqs personally is more resolved but anyway i won't um steal moko's thunder <laughs> so moko having a look at your pros and cons on uh, the review which is live now you asked a question which is quite interesting does it have a clear amg identity i'm assuming it doesn't because you've put it as a con <laughs> So this is kind of the point of this car. So when you think of AMG, you really think about noise. And the big problem with that, of course, is we move into this brave electric future. Well, EVs are silent. So, so what AMG has done here is it's premiered the company's um, it's, it's basically an artificial sound system that pumps fake noises both outside and inside the car that are linked up to the different driving modes so they can sound more or less aggressive depending on how you're driving, um, which ultimately to me kind of sounded a bit like a disappointing robotic hum. I'm not expecting it to have the kind of ballsy, insane, you know, God of Thunder gargling nails noise of an AMG C63 507 or something, but... It did leave me a little cold in terms of its of its sound. Um, also, it does have some you know new motor uh, design, front and rear axle over the normal Mercedes Benz EQS versions. It's got some distinct track based interior displays. It's got a lot of AMG add ons in terms of interior and exterior design, suspension reworks, and things like that. But Ultimately, this is a 2.7-ton, 5.2-meter-long sedan that doesn't make any noise, that doesn't really encourage super dynamic driving as toweringly capable as it is because you do feel a bit detached from the experience, which made me kind of wonder, does it feel like an AMG? And is it a sensible starting point for AMG as it goes into the world of electrification? Is starting here for its first full series production EV, aside from the shortly-lived SLS uh, that was only around for a minute or two. Does it make sense for the EQS to be the first version of that? And I think not. I think the Mercedes-Benz EQS versions that are coming just down the pipeline that are a bit more cushy, have longer ranges, will cost less, and really focus on the comfort side of things probably make more sense in a vehicle like this. Whereas if you want a super high-performance, you know, sporty electric car, 
I think you can't go wrong with the Porsche Taycan or even the Audi RS GT, which for me both edge this when it comes to sheer dynamics. And that was why I posed that question in the cons section. So what's uh, some of the statistics uh, for its motor? <laughs> so some of the statistics for this car are truly insane. Um, first of all, just before I touch on the motor, I will say this car costs just under $330,000 before on roads, which places it about line ball with the top of the tree Mercedes-Benz S580L 4MATIC. Um, so just, just to contextualize where this car sort of sits. But as we look to the facts and figures, the standard power and torque outputs 484 kilowatts, 950 newton meters. Uh, it does have electric motors, both front and rear, which enable electric all-wheel drive, fully variable. So it can be more rear biased or front biased, depending on the type of driving you're doing. But if that isn't sufficient, uh, an optional AMG Dynamic Plus package, and again, I'm not sure why this is an option, it should be standard, uh, jolts or boosts this, I should say, to jolts of 560 kilowatts and 1,020 newton meters of torque. It wow. also has a little launch control system, so you basically mash the brake and the throttle at the same time, release the brake, and it just pins you to the seat 3.4 seconds to 100 k's an hour, so long as you have at least three-quarter state of charge, which, again, for a 2.7 tonne, or in, with me in the driver's seat, 2.8 tonne car, is frankly staggering. Um, it does that Tesla Model S played thing where you you put your foot down and, you know, you just you're completely bewildered and befuddled by the sheer pace that's on offer. Um, the battery we're talking about here is only 400 volts, not 800 volts like a Taycan or even a Hyundai Ioniq 5, which does limit the DC charging capability. The usable energy content is just under 108 kilowatt hours, um, and AMG has adapted it for high-performance driving, particularly in the realms of cooling and battery management. Um, and the maximum driving range is a claimed 580 k's, which is down quite a bit on the regular EQSs, which are slower and a bit more aerodynamic. But then again, 580 k's is going to cover most journeys that you're after. Dedicated electric vehicle architecture. How is the packaging on this? Because this is a large car with a very long wheelbase. Is it as comfortable inside as an S-Class? Yeah, it's incredibly comfortable. Um, so... One of the big advantages, as you've just touched on, Will, is when a car is designed to be an EV from day one, rather than sort of packaging EV mechanicals and battery packs into existing legacy platforms, is that you do get a flat floor, you do get hidden storage cubbies and areas, there's tons of legroom in this thing and there's a massive boot. The only downside in terms of packaging is really rear headroom. I am quite tall, I'm, a, I'm 194 centimetres, so a bit taller than average. But that really swooping roofline, which is designed for aerodynamics front and centre, does limit rear headroom a bit. And in the case of the S-Class, you've got acres of space in every direction. So, so there is one area in which the EQS doesn't quite live up to the S-Class. But in terms of packaging, there are certainly plenty of worse cars out there that are this size. Um, on the flip side, Mocha, obviously this is an EQS, but it's still badged as an AMG. And something that I found with the EQE 53, which essentially shares most of the mechanicals here, was that, you know, AMGs have never been all out corner carvers, but they obviously have to have a level of dynamic ability. How did you find this AMG once you, the road wasn't straight anymore? <laughs> yeah, look, very capable. It's got a really cool rear wheel steering system, which at low speeds turns the wheels nine degrees in the opposite direction to the fronts to give you a turning circle. It's about the equivalent of a C-class but at higher speeds they turn at the same direction as the fronts to enhance stability. Um, AMG's done a fantastic job with the air suspension and adaptive dampers here to really smooth out the ride even on massive wheels with low profile tyres and it's very dynamically competent. The issue with it though is it doesn't really encourage you to drive it hard. The steering is a little bit detached, There's, the soundtrack is frankly a little bit naff and by that I mean the sort of fake try-hard engine noises. 
This is ultimately a car that can't defy physics, right? It's an enormous heavy machine that's very big and very long. So while it is capable, it's not like a Porsche Taycan where you really actually genuinely want to drive it like a sports car. It's one that really encourages, to me anyway, more wafty, comfortable, long-distance touring, long-legged stuff, which is again where it comes back to this whole identity crisis of is it really an AMG? So capable, sure, probably better than your average 5.2 metre long limo, and a lot of that is because the batteries in the floor give it a nice low centre of gravity. But I wouldn't say that I'm desperate to take one up Chum Creek or Black Spur or one of those great twisty roads we've got here in Victoria. It wouldn't be top of my list for, for tearing apart some corners, that's for sure. <laughs> Did you find it was a head turner when you are on the road? Mm. Yes, it's a head turner. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean it's good looking though, does it? <laughs> uh, people will snap their necks for things that are extreme in both directions. Look, no, design is strictly subjective, right? I mean, mm. this is a car that's, to, to Mercedes-Benz's credit, aerodynamics is a very green thing to do because it enhances driving range and that's really, really welcome. And it also means that the car's incredibly quiet inside because you can't hear the wind rushing past it because it's so good at slipping through the air. Um, I think it looks better in the metal. I do think the front of it looks a bit apologetic. I think AMGs are always kind of brashing in your face and this car looks a bit demure and meek at the front. The proportions and, and the dimensions and the silhouette are very unusual. It might be a car that grows on me with time. Um, that being, you know, in terms of people paying attention, when we had a bunch of them lined up at the Charge Fox DC Chargers in Goulburn and we had some people show up in lesser EVs to do their charging, they were sure very interested. Mm -hmm. um, they definitely knew about this car. And of course, when you drive through anywhere in a convoy of three or four high-end vehicles like this, you're always going to attract attention. So if you do want to stand out from the pack, it definitely turns more heads in an S-Class, which let's face it, is pretty anonymous looking these yep. days. What about the interior, Moke? Obviously with an S badging, you know, people associate Mercedes-Benz S models with, you know, plushness and luxury. Mm. Do, do you feel like the EQS, at least in AMG spec, lives up to something that you might find in a, an AMG S-Class? I wouldn't call it plush. I don't think it has that, you know, S-Classes are built like a double brick cottage, right? They're so sturdy. They use old world materials. They're unbreakable. This car, this is really more about the interior of the future. I mean, this, this is a car that you get in and you're just blown away by the technology on offer, but not blown away. It's not that it's badly built by any means, but it definitely emphasizes the tech side of things over, say, like a Bentley where it feels handcrafted and, and that sort of stuff. It, it doesn't have that feel about it, but it does have some incredible tech. So it's got two 12-inch screens uh, on each end of the, of the front dash, one in front of the driver, one in front of the passenger, OLED display, so incredibly crisp, with a 17-inch screen in between them that controls most of your car's functions. Mercedes-Benz calls this trio of screens that are behind a single cover, the hyper screen, with very good reason, because it measures 1.41 metres across. I've never known a car that talks about screens in terms of meters. I thought you were joking when you said that uh, at the beginning. 1.41 meters across. The instruments are incredible. The number of different, you know, from everything from full-size maps to performance gauges. The head-up display has augmented reality sat-nav, so it overlays your directional signals with these moving arrows. The augmented head-up display in the center screen projects a forward-facing camera image showing where you're going and points you with an active arrow into it so you can't miss your turn. Everything loads quickly. The graphics are extraordinary. And the screen in front of the front passenger, again, is just incredible. In terms of technology, I've never really sat in a car's interior that can match it. Certainly other EVs like the Tesla don't come close and, and neither, frankly, does the Porsche Taycan. When it comes to just sheer wow factor, 
This car will absolutely blow you away on the inside. It's also got some typical AMG touches, you know, lots of microfiber, lots of red stitching, lots of carbon fiber and silver finishes. Um, you do sit in this car and feel like you're kind of sitting in 2025 rather than 2022, which I guess is kind of what the company is going for. Hmm. So to sum up, which rating did you give it and why? So I gave it an 8.1 um, because I thought, you know, the interior feels like the future and the brutal acceleration and superb levels of highway refinement really did blow me away. And even though it's not beautiful, it definitely turns heads and is much more, I guess, um, interesting than an S-Class. I did question its AMG identity. I did question its driver dynamics in, in regards to its competition, particularly the Taycan and that rear, rear head uh, room issue as well I mentioned. So all up, 8.1. In some areas, it, it's absolutely extraordinary and unbeatable and in others a little disappointing and uh, overall that equals a slightly above average rating i do suspect though that the regular mercedes-benz eqs family without the amg stuff that's cheaper and longer range will probably draw a bigger rating i don't want to call it before i drive it but i suspect that will be the case all right you can read in more detail that review at car expert thank you mike costello always a pleasure Jawo, you've just jumped out of the Kia EV6. Did you get a chance to drive this when it was uh, in the Car Expert garage earlier? And uh, if so, what did you think back then? Um, so before I drove this particular one, I'd had a very brief stint behind the wheel of the all-wheel drive GT line. Um, I drove it down to Paul and Igor um, down in Lang Lang to deliver it for a video. So That's a long um, way. <laughs> it, was, it was a long way, but it's not a very exciting way because it's all freeways. So I basically yep. went from uh, Keelor Park in Melbourne's north and drove an hour and a half down to Lang Lang, which is on the way to Phillip Island. And it was pretty much all freeway from CityLink through to the Bass Highway. So there wasn't wow. a whole lot of real assessment I could do other than say how refined it was on the freeway and how comfortable it was. And it's obviously very quiet. Um, but yeah, I didn't really have the best grasp on how um, the Hyundai Kia eGMP platform performs in real life. Um, I'd sort of had a quick steer of an Ionic 5. I had briefly spent time in EV6, but I hadn't really, you know, um, dived into the, the nitty gritty of it all and trialing it in everyday life. And obviously the Kia is um, differs, differs to the Hyundai in that it has a um, local steering and local suspension and handling tune, uh, which is done by Graham Gambolt and his team here in Australia. So um, it was it was a really good way for me to sort of learn about how this car works. And it was one of my – I had the car a little while ago now, so it was like a um, – an early taste of what the next generation of EV ownership is like because obviously we've all driven some of the fir- the early stuff like Hyundai Konas and Nissan Leafs and things like that but the, the EV6 and obviously things like the Teslas and all that kind of stuff that we're used to now really take that into a new field. Mm. So uh, which variant did you drive and where does that sit in the range? So I had the GT line rear wheel drive, which is a single motor version, um, and it sits between the base EV6 Air, which is also rear wheel drive. So essentially the same drivetrain as the base model, um, but with the look and feel of the top spec model. So now they recently just um, had price increases of about four and a half thousand dollars, and now it's just over eighty grand plus on road costs. Um, and works out to about 85 drive away, which is not cheap by anyone's um, measurement. And it's um, 
competitive with everything from Tesla Model 3 through to Ionic 5 and Volvo XC40, Pure Electric and Polestar 2. And it's sort of shaped and sized, almost like a Jaguar F-Pace. It's an odd crossover wagon hatchback thingy. Um, so it's not quite as SUV looking as maybe like an Ionic 5 or an XC40, but it's definitely not a sedan. So it's this weird Frankenstein of things. And it kind of, I had a black one as well. And I remember wow. seeing that, I remember seeing the first photos and thinking, oh, it kind of reminds me of something. When I had when I saw the one in this beautiful glossy metallic black, it looks like Toothless the Dragon from How to Train Your Dragon. Oh I don't know if you, you know, Yeah, so if you look yes. at like it's so cute. Yeah, and the way that it lights up and everything, it looks exactly like it. And I just couldn't get that out of my head. And it's the way that the spoiler sticks out of the back and everything and the the tail lights sort of like the horns at the back of his head. So Oh my god, you're right. Now yeah. I can't unsee it. Yeah, it Me was, too. Yeah, so I just called it toothless for the week, which was quite fun. <laughs> <laughs> um where do you think the, the sweet spot is? I actually think it's this model because I find that the the GT line all wheel drive is another you know five or or five to eight grand or something like that. I can't and and then the the, the now the base model doesn't fall under the uh, the government rebates that are on offer in most states um, following the price increase. So the GT line picks up a number of like tech and feature inclusions that are quite desirable and it obviously looks a bit more substantial for your spend um, but I think that because the all-wheel drive version you know is obviously got the extra performance but in for how much you pay it's almost like $90,000 on the road that's a lot of money and then also Australia still misses out on a few features that are available overseas so Kia Australia just debuted Kia Connect which is their like net-based um, online services um, for your infotainment system in the new Nero and it, they've Kia's basically said we'll roll it out across the range and we expect it to come to the EV6 very soon given it's the flagship product um, but at the moment you can't it, it's not available in local vehicles um, they also have things like uh, like matrix LED headlights and a few other cool features that are on offer in other markets that we just don't get here yet um, and that'll just come with time and as supply opens up because obviously when you have such limited supply manufacturers tend to streamline options and feature lists so that there's consistency and there's less uh, complexity when it comes to getting them out of a stockyard or whatever so in terms of pricing and positioning this is probably the best one because it pretty much is the top spec car and it only really misses out on the extra motor and a sunroof the all-wheel drive gets a sunroof but the rear wheel drive doesn't i don't know how that works um but it's got you know pretty much everything that the company has to offer it's got heated ventilated seats got massive um 12.3 inch displays behind a curved glass um fascia which is really cool um it's got that new touch bar for the climate controls and the infotainment buttons so instead of having physical switch gear it has a touch base system but unlike some other vehicles and manufacturers that we've seen of late um volkswagen notably volkswagen yeah. <laughs> um it the, the the controls mimic actual switch gear so instead of trying to reinvent the wheel everything sort of placed and functions the same way that you would expect but obviously it has this sort of new age twist to it so it looks really cool obviously because there's like a button that switches the switches between the climate controls and the infotainment ones and then there are the two knobs on either side that either have the temperature colors around them or it becomes a volume and power knob so there's a few cool things in there obviously with the the dedicated electric platform you have uh 
a flat floor. You've got some cool storage options. There's like a little handbag holder under the center console. This floating center console between the driver and the front passenger houses uh, a rotary gear selector and like this cool um, phone charger or wireless charging pad that sort of fits under the armrest. So it's sort of like this little flight deck vibe. Um, The GT line gets this uh, fake aluminium trim throughout and then there's like lots of there's a lot of gloss black which paul merrick will hate and um <laughs> and, <me. laughs> and there's lots of like leatherette and suede and it's a very dark cabin in the gt line which may not appeal to all tastes but it definitely looks cool and and sort of like what we've seen in some other brands like volkswagen and mercedes lately that really try to wow you with screens and things like that the ev6 does that obviously for a much more affordable and attainable price. So you can, this is obviously not a cheap car, but you get in it and you're like, wow, like you're like for, it's easy to say for a Kia, it's really good, but just in general and for this price segment, it's got a really nice presentation that is not only really good for the mainstream or sort of semi-premium segments, but it also would be easily competitive in terms of design and execution to some of the premium brands. Um, so it's 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 really cool when to look at obviously from the outside and then when you hop in it's still got that wow factor but it's still familiar it, that's that's one thing that I really like about it is that you can get in and if you've been in any other Hyundai Kia products before you'll know how to drive it does it have more of a wow factor inside and out than the Ionic 5 because that's certainly a design that really stands out yeah i think it's um it, it, the, the Ionic 5 is, is cool, but I think because, especially in Australian models, we get basically just light interiors. And so it's very just like open plan, light, airy, and you're probably more focused on the space itself rather than all the detailing. Whereas I feel like here's gone to an effort to, you know, have the, I, I use the, the, I draw a comparison to an Adidas tracksuit for the interior of, of the GT line. Cause it's got this like three stripe motif on the seats and there's a couple of other things on the dashboard and stuff like that. So it just, it, it, you focus more on the details in the in the EV6, where I feel like the Ionic Five, you revel in like the, the airy and spacious feel, and obviously it's got the same similar tech, but the the Kia has bigger screens, and there's like cooler, um, more avant garde design motifs that I think are a bit more eye grabbing. So to answer that question, yeah, it's, it's it's I think it's captivating in a different way. Is there anything that you think uh, should be improved a little bit a little bit more in the EV6? Yes, I do. I think that the there are some elements of the interior that I feel look good when you look at them and then if you maybe press up against them with your leg or you, you might run your hand over them, they're not necessarily the highest quality materials. Um, f- namely, the center console, because it's sort of standing on its own, it can wobble a little bit if you press up against it with, with your leg or you might knock it if you're getting into the car. Um, I know you're not necessarily going up to something and sh- physically shaking it with your hands, but that's something worth noting, I guess, if I was to really get into it. Um, some of the plastics um, from the mid to low tiers of the cabin as well as the the door tops on the at the rear um i like that hard scratchy plastic which you know you can sort of knock it are you going to really, really be touching it maybe not but you know it's an eighty five thousand car once you get eighty five thousand dollar car once you get it on the road there are other cars with nicer inter- interiors and that's just a simple fact mm. um other than that 
just extending the functionality of the infotainment system, having Kia Connect would be a really cool feature for a, a, a product like this. You'd be able to have like a, a phone app that gives you vehicle information and, you know, charge levels, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and perhaps a, a dedicated voice assistant for the interior. So, if, you know, some people who don't want to be searching around for buttons and things like that in the cabin can just press the voice command um, button and on the steering wheel and ask it to open the sunroof if you have one or turn up or, or turn the volume up, change the temperature, that kind of thing. Uh, but other than that, I think it, it does a really good job at making a statement. And I think this car for Kia is like the second the second round of that. The Stinger was maybe the, f- the most recent example where the Kia really wanted to make a statement to the world. We can, we can make a really cool high-end performance liftback or, you know, sedan that happens to be a liftback. And then the EV6 is like, you know, we can make a really cool upmarket electric car. And after reading so much hype about it f- overseas to get it in person, you're like, you know, does it live up to the expectations set by, yeah, the aircon does that no one's screaming no one's getting kidnapped or murdered <laughs> will's not scared you know it's, it's, it's fine <laughs> um but yeah so this is obviously a big statement in terms of design tech this is meant to be everything that kia can do right now and um it definitely is very impressive there are it's not perfect but it's it's definitely a, an impressive bit of kit so your commute to work is you know a mixture of freeways uh driving on you know tram tracks and, yeah. and all sorts of stuff how did you think it handled all those i was pleasantly surprised with how good it was um so this the gt line runs on rides on 20 inch wheels uh with big chunky not chunky but big continental tires and it doesn't have adaptive dampers like some other vehicles might in the segment so at the beginning i was like oh you know kia tends to make their locally tuned products a little bit more sporty because our tastes apparently align a bit more with european tastes where they're a bit more food driver engagement but obviously australian roads are so diverse and in a lot of places quite poor quality so you need to have a level of um, comfort and compliance um, dialed in as well so my commute to work is about 20 something kilometers and you know you go from freeways into inner city suburbs and then into the actual CBD and you're going over tram tracks, potholes, road joins, all sorts of things. And the it really does handle it all with a really high level of finesse. It was I was really surprised with just how comfortable and quiet it was pretty much all the time. Occasionally you hear like a thud or something into the cabin when it hits something big. But in terms of like how that's transmitted to occupants, you're never feeling like it's crashy or, or too thin family damped or anything like that. The, the, the team at Kia Australia really struck a great balance between comfort and uh, handling or at least in, engagement or dynamic ability. So, you know, conversely, once you get out onto, you know, the open road or some twisty bits, it's very secure, very planted. It's a little bit of fun to um, flick around some corners um, because, you know, you feel it and it feels like a big heavy car and this is, you know, a two-ton something vehicle. And it's just... It's not necessarily the most engaging car in the world to drive because obviously you can't defy physics, but, you know, it turns in accurately. It's got a really nice balance to it. You've got a well-controlled body, so you're not wallowing about. And in this particular version, it's rear-wheel drive. So you've got that sort of classic rear-wheel drive balance with uh, a fairly torquey motor that won't blow your socks off in a straight line, but, you know, you've got that instant shove from the electric motor that makes you feel like you're doing something. Um, And it's also not 
overpowering the rear axle to the point where you're constantly lining up the tires or, you know, kicking the back out and freaking yourself out mid corner. <laughs> um, it's got a really nice balance. And I think that's why in particular, this variant is the sweet spot because spending up for the, um, the all wheel drive version, sure. You shave almost two seconds, about two seconds off the zero to hundred time, which is fun when you want to launch onto a freeway on ramp or something, mm-hmm. but you sort of lose that, that, that rear drive feel and that the fun of, you know, really driving it properly rather than just going like point and shoot, you have to sort of gradually step up to it. And it's just old, it's got a bit of old school to it. So that was, that was really cool. Um, I actually haven't read this, but what is the cost of ownership like? It's actually not too bad. It's got obviously the seven-year unlimited kilometer warranty, and then I think a five-year service pack's about fifteen hundred bucks. So it works out to about three hundred a year, which compared to some of Kia's other electrified products, mm-hmm. namely the hybrid stuff, which needs a ten-thousand-kilometer interval, not fifteen thousand, which I still don't understand. And you end up paying like four thousand dollars over seven years rather than yeah, it's just insane. Wow. Um, it's actually not too bad. So, but the other the only thing that I will the other thing that I'll knock it for is that Kia doesn't throw in like a, a charge Fox subscription or any sort of like incentive to use a public charger network, which means that if you're, you know, some people who buy the premium brands and that is even with like a, an EQA or something like that, they normally give you like at least three years worth of unlimited charging, which is just a nice incentive for someone to make the switch. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't offer that. So that's probably something that Kia could look into. Obviously, they have one of the best ownership programs in the industry by length and coverage and all that kind of thing. And obviously, the warranty is fully transferable. I would have liked to see them at least have some incentive like charging or, or a wall box installation um, to sort of really get the their existing ownership base to perhaps inquire more, but then they're also very limited at the moment too. They've only got between 500 and 600 units coming throughout the entirety of 2022. So if you manage to get your hands on one, um, good job. Yeah, good job. Yeah. You're in very exclusive company. And I think that um, they had some ridiculous amount of uh, deposits put down when orders first opened. So going by this year's volume, they're potentially sold out for the next year or year or three. So who knows? <laughs> So, Jaywo, which car expert rating did you give it? Uh, it worked out to an 8.3. So I sort of gave it high praise in the bits that we've spoken about that I feel are deserving of high praise. And in some of the other categories, I knocked it a little bit because, you know, the EVs, while they only account for a small portion of Australian sales at the moment, it's a very competitive space and it's always changing. Between when the EV6 first hit the market six months ago and now there's already new competitors on the market and adjustments to pricing and spec that, you know, make it very, very hard to just say, oh yeah it's great so yeah 8.3 still very good score lovely keep your eyes open for jo's kia ev6 on the site soon there goes another car expert podcast what are you up to this weekend will well, I will be taking a Toyota Prado Kakadu um, off to, oh, I'm not familiar with Victoria, out near um, Bright and uh, Mount Buffalo and Falls oh, Creek, that, that neck of the woods. Very green. Yes. Well, hopefully white. I'm hoping, I'm hoping <laughs> it's white because I've never actually seen snow in Australia. I've seen it. Oh, Falls Creek, of course. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, that'll be fun. So loading up the car with people and uh, uh, taking it out that way. Nice. And um, what other cars can we expect in our garage this week? Okay. So down here in Melbourne, we have a Kia Carnival Platinum. Ooh, 
fully loaded. Uh, Ford Ranger Wild Track V6. So that is nice. a review people are, you know, waiting to read. Um, maybe not as many people are waiting to read Mazda MX-30 G20e Astina, but nice to have that for the garage. Uh, we've got the new Kia Niro Hybrid GT line and oh, one of the most beautiful European cars on sale at the moment, Peugeot 508 GT Sports oh. Wagon. Um, and then up in Sydney, uh, well, actually, we've got a Skoda Superb 206 TSI Sportline. And in Brisbane, looks like Albors will be getting behind the wheel of a BMW iX. Lovely interior. And the best part is you can't see the front from inside. <laughs> That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Um, And where's the team off to next week also, Jero? Well, I'm jetting off again, but not very far. So (laughs) I'm going to Adelaide to drive the new Audi RS3 at the Bend, which is the best place to test a five-cylinder Audi RS3, I think. Um, Scott Colley will be joining the Volkswagen Group in Sydney as well to um, go through the Cooper range. So I believe there was a drive component that may not quite be there anymore. So there's a, there's a bit of a TBA in terms of the content of that event, but they're going to obviously go through the entirety of their launch rollout and all the kind of things that they want to do now that the vehicles should be hitting the market very, very soon. Um, and Mike Costello will also be going to a, I think, a static unveiling of the Ferrari 296 GTS in Melbourne, which I believe is at the Zagami showroom in Richmond. So some cool stuff happening next week. Indeed. All right. That's a wrap. William Stopford and James Wong, thank you. Thanks, Mandy. Thanks, Mandy.